Hey everyone, welcome back to Sprouting Minds. This week we welcome Aaron McBitz to the podcast. Aaron is a podcaster himself and a former WWE wrestler. We talk about his mental health journey and what it was like while he was a wrestler and post-wrestling. It's a really interesting conversation and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. If you want to learn more about Aaron, his podcast, and his nonprofit, just check the links in the show notes. Hey. There you are. <laughs> All right. How's it going? <laughs> Great. Uh, how are you? How's your family? Is everything all right? Yes, everything is fine. Thank you for being flexible. Just someone's caregiver fell through and they needed backup right away. And I was like, okay. So, but everything okay. was fine. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. It wasn't uh, anything too no. monumental. No. How are you doing? Excellent. Yeah, it's a good day. Good, good. I'm excited to chat with you. Um, and yeah, learn more about you because we only spoke briefly just to like get to know each other. He's driving me a little crazy, that dog, because he's spinning in circles. So this will be interesting. So just ignore <laughs> him. <laughs> well, Aaron, you have quite an interesting background because you're you were a pro wrestler. Mm -hmm. And then we had spoken a little bit about how you didn't really know much about mental health, which I think is very typical of people who don't need to be concerned about it necessarily because right. their mental health seemed fine. And then in 2018, there was a big tragedy. Um, you grew up in Texas and you had an older sister named Rachel who kind of helped inspire you to do all of these amazing things that you've been doing, which is such a big accomplishment. I'm wondering, since you didn't have so much to do with mental health when you were growing up. I'm kind of always curious as a pro wrestler, how your mental health was, because I think sports are so interesting and you get in your head a lot and there's a lot of pressure, but mental health isn't really spoken about until now. And I'm interesting, interested in hearing if mental health played a role at all in your wrestling career it it did for the simple fact that there's a lot of um drugs and alcohol and um escapism in professional wrestling so if you don't know anything about professional wrestling it's you know wwe it's the uh it's a performance art mixed with a little fighting mixed with athleticism and so um, when I wanted to become a professional wrestler, I saw it on TV and I was like, oh, I want to, I want to be that, that kind of person who can be in front of a crowd and jump around and move and attract fans and all of this stuff. And then you, you realize that you have to put, you're putting on a performance because that's what it is, sort of like an actor or anything like that. And so what happens with professional wrestling is that we become the person in the ring so much that we lose sight of who we actually are. And now we go home to our wife or our kids and our wife's like, hey, honey, I need you to take out the trash. And you're like, nah, fuck you. I'm a world champion, right? Okay. No, you're not. It's pretend. It's not real. But we've, we've joined the two together. And so I, I talk about, I say the drugs and the alcohol and the escapism because, okay, so now I have some Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday where I'm not performing in the ring 
but I don't want to be Aaron. I just want to be, I just want to be Jackson Stone, which was my professional wrestling name. And so that's where the, that's where the mental health issues arise. And I noticed that early on in my career. Um, and that wasn't something that I sort of uh, fell into. I mean, I saw a lot of guys, friends I know, who struggled deeply with this whole identity crisis and basically becoming the performer and wanting to be that instead of who they actually were. Because a lot of people get into professional wrestling for numerous reasons, but I found mostly that it was because they were bullied in high school or in middle school. Because mm. like being a pro wrestling fan is very niche, it's very unique. And so you sort of find it when you need it the most. That's what that's so a beautiful thing about pro wrestling is that it's it saved a lot of lives. It saved my life. And I can tell that story if we get there. But and then you find the same people who have sort of a similar story than you and you guys resonate with each other. Um, but people make fun of you because it's weird, it's pretend, it's fake, whatever the case may be about making fun of something that people enjoy, which I'll never understand. And then you sort of become that thing that you always wished you wanted to become. And then it takes over your life. And then you start to do some of these other things. And now you're on the road four or five days a week. You're not seeing your family. And so how do you cope with that? You know, we cope in unhealthy ways. And then that's when the mental health issues start to arise. And there's way too many deaths and overdoses and suicides in professional wrestling than I care to count. Yeah. And so that's where that's that's sort of the yeah that's sort of where it is right now and so with with the my nonprofit that i run because i was in professional wrestling for so long we have set up systems and structures and resources in the professional wrestling business to try and get people to understand some of the tools that are available to them how they can understand their identity a little bit more what actually identity is how they can yes be a performer inside the ring but what sort of things can they do when the performance is over to allow them to be themselves, to be with their family, to be with their kids, to use different ways to cope outside of um, drugs, alcohol, or sex, or gambling, or whatever the case may be is. Um, and so, I, yeah, I, I don't think that people understand the how difficult it is to do that job and all yeah. these other jobs that are in this in related to that field, like being an actor. We've seen right. all these people who play like these really, really powerful, dark, deep roles. And they're in this character for such a long period of time that they don't know how to get themselves back out of it. And, you know, we see it on a small, a very small scale, but not uh, not insignificant by any means of us regular people in real lives, like performing every day, performing in our jobs, performing for a relationship, performing on social media. And we can now see how much of an impact that has on our mental health. And in pro wrestling, you just see it on a really large, like in your face type of scale because you're encouraged to be a performer and you have to be, right? I can't get the fans to like me or dislike me if I'm not larger than life, if I'm not yeah. pretending to be a superhero or a super villain. And yeah. then I want to portray that character in such a way with such authenticity that people believe I'm that person, like Heath Ledger in The Joker for example, but then I don't know how to turn it off. And I don't know if I even want to turn it off because I was this person before in high school and middle school who was bullied, who was small, who no one cared about. And now I have hundreds, 200, thousands, millions of fans, people screaming my name, cheering me on, talking about me on social media. So why would I want to go back to this other person who no one gave a shit about? 
Now everyone cares about me. Do they care about the real me or do they care about what I can do for them and what I produce for them? So there's a lot of different factors that I think go into play when thinking about the mental health of a sort of a performer, an actor. And it's similar to to an athlete, but it's a bit different. You know, some athletes put on an alter ego effect when they get into the their playing field. But there's a bunch of identity crisis in the in the athlete world as well because of sort of the obsessive nature of how you can be the best in the world. But it's all, yeah, it's all very interesting stuff I think about uh, quite often. Yeah, and I think also like the fact that, you know, you're, as you said, like you're an everyday person, nobody's watching you. Nobody's caring that you did this amazing thing or that you walked 10 miles or whatever it is. No one cares. But then when you're on that stage putting on this performance, everyone's watching. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, look at this man. Look at what he's doing. And that must be such a high that if your average everyday life doesn't come even close to that, I can only imagine how hard it is to turn that off. If all you've ever wanted was that recognition and you're getting it in this huge field and you walk out the door after and nothing's happening. Like it's such a mental game of, okay, yeah, I'm doing this. Now I have to figure out how my average everyday life still measures up to that just in a different way, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're still the same person, but it's just a, a very different playing field. And yeah, and I'm sure also as an athlete, if you have like an amazing run where you're doing all these amazing things and, and winning the, in the ring or, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> and then you have one bad day. That bad day is going to outweigh, quote unquote, mm -hmm. outweigh the good because everyone's like, oh, well, he fucked up. Like, now what? Mm -hmm. When it's like, we all have bad days. Like, you can't win them all. There's going right. to be times that, but it's such a, a way of like, okay, I didn't ace whatever it was today. How do I get past that? How do I recognize these feelings, work through them, and then move forward? So it's, yeah, I, I'm, I wish I was athletically talented, but also I'm really glad that I'm not in any of those fields because I can't imagine like what you guys go through on almost an everyday basis. Yeah, it's challenging because on one, you're like super grateful that you're able to one, have these gifts and abilities and this able body to do the things you do and then have the motivation, drive, discipline, whatever word you want to use to go after something that's so hard. And then, but then it becomes your whole life and then you foreclose everything else about yourself and you have to sacrifice tons of things, relationships, friendships, all of these things to do this one thing. And then you, then you are this one thing, but you're not really just that one thing, but that's sort of how you have to do it. Unless you have someone by your side, coaching you, teaching you, explaining you that you can be rooted in your, in your identity as a real person and have different parts of you that come in, into play when you do certain things. Right. And so right. it's, there's just such a, uh, you know, there's no balance, but it's sort of a harmonious dynamic sort of obsession that you can make healthy. You can, there right. can be a healthy way to do it. Yes. Sometimes I'm going to give 90% here, a hundred percent here, 10% here, but I'm still doing it in a way that, um, allows me to be my best self, not just on the field of play. And so right. it's, um, I mean, we're seeing it, right. You're seeing yeah. it. 
everyone's seeing it, how we can do it, how coaches, sports psychologists, mental skills coach, podcasts, teachers, all of these people who see lots of people every day, not just the therapists who sees the one-on-one person, but how can we equip people who see large numbers of people, youth coaches, teachers, all these people can just sprinkle in these little nuggets, these skills. The right. kids maybe not we're gonna aren't gonna resonate with them when they're twelve, but they're gonna they're gonna get to sixteen and be like, oh, my teacher four years ago said that one thing. Like I finally get it because yeah. they have to feel it, they have to experience it. You know, right. we can tell them all of these things. I can give them the tools, but if they're not like, okay, that actually makes sense for my life, and I can use it now, then we did that job, and we're never gonna know about any of those things um, because you know it's four years later and that. Or teaching a bunch of different students or coaching a bunch of different players or whatever the case may be is. But, right. you know, that's, I think, how, where it has to lean to. So we can leverage all of these skills and give them to a, as many people as possible, you know, so everyone can have this emotional agility, this flexibility, this adaptability to deal with whatever they're dealing with, whether it be in and out of sport, you know, starting a podcast, trying to run a business doing a lemonade stand, whatever it is, right. it's all this stuff is going to happen. And so um, it's cool to see it go that direction, you know, being yeah. being in the trenches with it for the last four years, at least. Yeah. And so when you, when you started, you were loved, were you still part of the wrestling world or was that post-wrestling? Yeah. So in 2018, um, that's when my sister passed away. And I was full throttle, deep into professional wrestling. That was my full-time job. I was living in Philadelphia. Um, I only went by Jackson Stone. I didn't even know if people knew me as Aaron, except for like my my family and my friends who knew me before Jackson Stone. But yeah, I was in I was in the middle of my of my career. And, you know, then this thing happened that's the most painful and tragic and heartbreaking thing that's ever happened. Um and then I, I like reevaluated my whole life. And what I just spoke about in terms of the, the mental health of a professional wrestler, I, I went through that sort of dilemma. I went through that, this tug of war with my heart. Um, because at the time, Jackson Stone was a bad guy. And I was a, my, my moniker is a bit cheesy, but it's quite funny too. And now that I think about it, but my moniker was Lights Camera Jackson. So. Yeah playoff lights camera action and I was so I was pretending to be a movie star yeah and at this time in my life I had no money barely had a car I lived in a shitty apartment but I was pretending to be a movie star so everything that I posted on social media was extremely curated and manufactured to make it look like I was this person so that when I went to shows um fans would believe in the idea like I think everyone knows that we're just independent professional wrestlers right we don't have big production we don't make millions of dollars so they get it, but they don't want to be told straight up that this is not the real deal. Right. And so I was doing the best I could so I could go to shows and perform as this sort of villain, superhero, gigantically cocky person, basically was the idea. Right. And then my sister, you know, dies by suicide and I, I mean, you just... You think about what's important, right? When you get punched in the face so hard and life is telling you that this shit is precious, dude. This is fragile. Like things can be taken away from you in any moment. What do you really want to do? Like what do you really want to do? 
And so I kept performing as Jackson Stone for a little while. Um, but then I started looking into stuff. I joined a support group for suicide loss survivors. I just started taking a deep dive into all of this stuff. And um, You Are Love popped up into my life. Just like saw the three words on maybe like an Instagram post. And for some reason, it just like hit me. I Maybe I was having, I don't remember exact moment, but maybe I was having a bad day. Probably was having a bad day. I just lost someone that I love deeply, who is my best friend and number one supporter. And those words stuck with me. And I was living with a buddy at the time who was also a wrestler. And we decided to make a t-shirt. And we threw You Are Loved on a t-shirt. And we sold like almost 300 of those t-shirts. And we donated all of the funds to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which is an amazing organization if you've never checked them out. Um, and that was sort of the start of You Are Loved. And then at the same time, posting about that shirt, started posting more about mental health while still performing as this egomaniac villain person at shows. And I just was like having an internal battle. I just like yeah. couldn't do it. I was feeling sick to my stomach that I would go to these shows and tell little kids to shut up so I could be the, the, the villain that they booed for. But then I got home on social and I was posting about love and empathy and mental health and kindness and growing through our challenges. And it was just like, it was just like absolutely eating my whole entire soul up. And I had no energy to do anything. And so I decided to, I wanted to keep wrestling because that was still something that, that felt important to me. Um, and it was one of the only things in my life that kept me going, that kept me looking forward to something. Like I had to, I had to get up, I had to work out, I had to do something so that I, I could wrestle. And so that was important for my life to have that one thing to keep me going while I was feeling, you know, all of my grief. Um, so I decided to rearrange my character. I just dropped the lights, camera Jackson thing. And I just was myself just with a pretend name. Everything about me was the real deal. Um, and it just felt smoother, felt fresher. It felt easier. And did I just feel, showed up as, yeah. Did it feel liberating to, oh. to make that transition and just be yourself just with a different name? Yes. It was also really hard. It was also scary. I don't want to make it sound like it was easy because, oh, of course. you know, that was who I, I'd been this person for, for three years now, traveling the world, trying to make it in the professional wrestling world. And I was like, if I do this, like, am I going to lose my bookings? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? And there was a bit of that. Like I had a few promoters who run wrestling shows tell me that um, I shouldn't be talking about mental health because it's not tough and that's not what tough guys do. And I don't know if I can have you on my show because you're not a tough guy. And, you know, I never expected that to happen because I just wasn't aware of some of these stigmas before I started speaking and thinking about this stuff. And, but I should have known because, you know, my sister got ridiculed for a really long time for battling with the stuff that she got through. It just, it never clicked. It's something that I regret for a long time or forever probably, but you know, it's a different, maybe a different chat. Um, and so, yeah, I made, I made the switch. Um, and, and basically made a commitment to myself that this is who I was going to be. Um, and then fast forward to COVID, um, basically didn't have a job anymore because you can't wrestle in front of no people. Yeah. So actually that was like the best thing that could have happened because I actually slowed down, had to think about my life. Okay. I don't have a job right now. What am I, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Like yeah. really? And so during COVID, that's when, I, that's when I made You Are Loved, an official nonprofit. That's when I went really fully serious on my podcast about what I wanted to talk about. 
and I just took a I took a turn and then actually hilarious that we're recording on this day because it was one year ago on the actual day that I had my very last professional wrestling match so well, yes. I, con- congratulations. No, thank you. Yeah, no, I felt <laughs> you asked if the other decision was liberating. Um, that was very liberating. And then to tell you how hard that transition was, was basically it took me a whole nother year to January of this year to actually change my name to my real name on my social media. Yeah. So I retired from professional wrestling in March of 2022 and was still going by Jackson Stone for the next like eight months. My podcast was under that name. And then I was just like, I can't do it. Like I've, I've made these transitions. I want to be Aaron. I am Aaron. Like this is my name. I haven't used it since 2015 or something like that. Um, and so I finally did. So I changed the name of my podcast, all my social media handles, all of that stuff. And again, there was so much fear. It's like, what if all the people that have known me as this for the last six years, just decide like, oh, no, I don't want to follow this dude anymore. This, this is a joke. What I followed him for wrestling, not for mental health content. And yeah. so <clears throat> it's all worked out, you know, better than I could have imagined. You know, sometimes we just got to take that leap. You know, yeah. I don't think we get less scared by any means, but I do think we get more brave. And I think yeah. there's a big difference in that. And so that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at right now with my life and my podcast and you are loved and all of that stuff. So. Yeah. And I think it's extremely, extremely brave and scary, but extremely brave of you to talk about mental health. And it makes sense to me that you would hold on to the Jackson Stone for a very long time because it's your alter ego, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's half of who you were. And so like I I was a teacher and I still have stuff from my teaching days. I'm never going back. I'm never Mm. going back to teaching, but I just still have everything because I'm not ready to let that go. And so even if it's just a name, right? Like, I'm wondering if maybe part of you was still afraid that like, as you said, like people are not going to know who Aaron is. They're not going to want to follow Aaron. They wanted to follow Jackson. And so like removing that identity from your current life, because that's always going to be part of your past, right? But removing that and saying like, okay, stick with me. I got more to say. Like, I promise it's worth it. Like, right. it's so brave of you, but also so terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, I think that's where just having like a bit of faith yeah. in something comes in, right? Faith in whatever, right? Whatever, whatever you believe to be true, right? There has to be something that you see on the other side of this gigantic fucking mountain that you're like, if I jump, like, Something's going to catch me and I'm going to be okay. Yeah. And whatever that is, however you cultivate that sense of optimism, which you can, optimism is just a skill. It's not innately in us, right? But we can grow to be more optimistic. Um, And so that's what you have to have, a bit of faith, right? And like all the good things, you know, as cliche as it is, it's so true. Like all the good things are on the other side of your of your fears yeah. or on the other side of your comfortability right it's true but you have to you have to actually go to that space and make that step the step can be very small my steps were small it took me nine months to make the step of just altering my social media handles i was already doing all of these things and it took me that long just to switch a handle that's like a few letters you know i'm putting my real name on instagram 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, but you have to do it. And there's a bit of faith about it. Like, okay, it's going to be fine. It's just going to be fine. And I have, you know, amazing people in my corner, my video guy, Ben, and my girlfriend were very supportive. And all of this, and my friends who've been with me since college, who knew that I wanted to be Jackson Stone and saw me through Jackson Stone and throw me, saw me through, you know, all the stuff with my sister and helped me through that. And in this transition, like, to have you have to build a community up yeah. um, of support and people who care about you and know the real you and encourage you to do those things. But it's ultimately your decision to make that tiny step forward. And then yeah. you can build on those steps. And yeah, but having that sort of faith and that things are going to work out for the best, like you yeah. have to put in proper work and effort and attention and focus, right? Having the naive sense of optimism is probably more dangerous than having a pessimistic view of life. And so it's like a fundamental truth. It's like a fundamental optimism. Like this will work out, but I know I'm going to go and put in the work. I'm going to see the proper attention. I'm going to get through the trenches. I'm going to get keep showing back up. I'm going to be the person who keeps trying. I'm going to be the person who keeps trying. And we'll see where it ends up. And so far for me, it's, um, you know, it's working out pretty exceptionally, I would say. You know, yeah. being able to have conversations <laughs> like this is basically what my whole life is about. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how it could get any better than that. So. I don't know about you, but I love it. <laughs> right? It's fucking cool, man. It's it's so cool. And like before, ha I'm sure before either one of us had a podcast, like the idea that I would be talking to a former pro wrestler or just someone who doesn't live in my neighborhood is absurd, right? <laughs> but <laughs> here we are. And so, yeah, I mean, I... I love the small steps because I am an anxious person. I used to never do anything that was like fearful related, but I've learned to take small steps. And I'm curious what you do for your mental health. Like, do you journal? Like, what are some fundamental things that you have incorporated into your life that have kind of helped? Um, number one has always been exercise. Exercise is probably the number one thing that changed my whole life. Like, and it's not even the number two is not even close. Mm. Like, number two is probably baseball because I played that for a really long time. It doesn't even come close to how much exercise changed my life. I started working out when I was 14 and just has been my, my anchor for my whole life. Like, anything that goes that that goes wrong, I need to go to the gym. You know, at some point in my life, it was a little bit of an obsession. You know, I went yeah. sort of two or three times a day, but I've tailored it out now that it's just something I need to do. It's something yeah. I, I make time for. It's my number one self-care strategy. It's it's exercise. And now it's a multitude of things. Exercise could be going to the gym, doing yoga, going for a bike ride, uh, doing jujitsu, which I love, um, sauna. Like I think that's all part of our exercise routine. Um, right. And so daily movement, exercise, something, that's my number one for sure. It has been for a really, really, really long time, even before I knew that it was for my mental health. Like before I just wanted to get jacked and look cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I had to write right. an aesthetic yeah. business, right? Basically running around in my underwear uh, for six or seven years as a professional wrestler. And so, yeah, of course, working out was a part of trying to look good, Yeah, but it also just made me feel better. And now I don't care really what I look like. It's nice to look cool because summer's coming up and I'll have maybe yeah. I'll have some abs or whatever the case may be is. But it doesn't matter. Makes me feel better. Makes me function. I have some clarity. I'm grounded in myself. 
Um, it challenges me, me to do hard things so I know I can do other hard things when they become into my life without me choosing them. Right. So it's always been exercise. Um, I do uh, love the sauna. I love a cold shower. Those two are important to me. Um, I journal not every single day, but probably three to four times a week, I would say. Um, and that's like an optimism practice, a gratitude practice. I like to write down some affirmations. Um, I also like to just take notes like from the day and write them down. Yeah. So it's just a different sort of journaling practice, whatever works for you. Um, I like to meditate. Also do that about five days a week. I usually miss about two throughout the week. Um, and sleep. Sleep is probably outside of exercise, my number two self-care strategy. So yeah. And then I try to limit my phone use and screen time and things like that uh, in terms of daily practices for my mental health. But speaking to friends, getting outside, um, coaching baseball is a mental health uh, relief for me because I love being out on the field with my boys. Yeah. Um, so a lot of things. But you, yeah, so it's just got to find, you know, I think we think about our mental health toolkit in, in different ways. But I think it's important to have a grasp on which mental health practices are best for you. Right. And right. you have to, and I think it's important to develop those when you're feeling okay or good, right? Not yeah. when you're in a crisis. Because when right. you're in a crisis, you're not going to give these things a real try. You're not going to commit to doing them. You're just going to, if they don't work within two or three seconds, you're going to throw yeah. them out and then you're going to feel worse. And so we all have days where we're not going to feel good. And so what can we do on those days? What can we force ourselves to do on those days when we've been doing them on all the good days and okay days? Because we know that we, we're someone who takes care of ourselves, right? Self-care is just a commitment to our future self. And so we think about self-care as like a vacation, a massage, getting our nails done, all these like big sort of extravagant things that you can do that are really great, taking a nap, all of these things. But there has to be protocols in your life that you do daily no matter what. That's really what self-care is. So having one, two, three things that you do sort of five to seven days a week as sort of non-negotiables in your life, whether that be exercise, movement, sleep, meditation, journal, sauna, uh, community events, hangout, whatever it is, right? Work, work, work through it, figure out, okay, this makes me feel the best. And when I don't do this, it makes me feel not good. Cool. Right. When I don't sleep eight hours, I'm not my best self. Now, some days I get home late from practice and I still wake up early for whatever reason. That's just part of life. And I'm not super right. rigid in my routine to know that it makes me feel worse that I didn't do the thing that I said that I was going to do. But I do it most often knowing that I am the type of person who does that stuff. And so I have built trust in myself to know that, okay, I'm just going to get back at it tomorrow and I'll make some adjustments through my day to make sure I'm not too tired. I can get still get my work done. And then I'll recoup on the sleep here, get a little movement here, get a nap in, in the middle of the day here where I can sort of tweak it um, and have some flexibility in my routine. Because that's really what mentally strong people are, is they're flexible and adaptable right. based on their routines. So they have routines to create structure, but they know that outside of that, they can be like water and they can be flexible and adaptable. And so building your own mental health toolkit is extremely important because it you talk about all the time on this podcast. I talk about all the time on my podcast, mental health toolkits and things to do. But if if they work for me and you, it doesn't mean they're going to work for, for the listener or the person who, who this is resonating with right now. So you have totally. to find it for yourself. And if it's some like weird stuff, like 
it's not weird because it's exactly what you need and it's probably perfect. If you really like turtles and there's something about turtles that make you feel calm and collected and at peace, do that. Watch a video right. on YouTube about turtles. I don't know. Like it doesn't, it's not crazy. It's not weird. It doesn't make you strange. It makes right. you a unique person. And this is what you have found that works for you. And so when you're feeling awful and you start to spiral a little bit, you know that this is the thing that I need to do right now. Yeah. Whether that's take a nap or meditate or get into a cold shower, or go for a run or move my body or have a hard workout or call my friend, like whatever it is, it has to be something. And we have to stick to those protocols when we feel our worst because we have to force ourselves to do it because sometimes, majority of the times, actually, feelings follow behaviors and we have yeah. to know the behaviors we wish to do when we need them most because we yeah. do them every day. Right. And I, and I think also like in terms of exercise for me, I hate going to the gym. I hate working out in front of people. So I knew that's not going to work for me as exercise. What will is it's a beautiful day. I'm going to take a walk around my block. Fantastic. One block. That's it. Right. One lap around fresh air just by myself. No phone. Right. Or if I'm taking my phone to listen to music, it's on airplane mode. That way I'm not getting texts or anything. Like there are so many different outlets for everyone. And mm -hmm. as you said, like what works for me might not work for you. Like a cold shower won't ever do that, but it works for you. <laughs> and right. that's amazing. For me, it might be the walk around the block. Maybe it's just sitting outside. Maybe it's not walking today, but it's just sitting outside, maybe knitting something that's taking my time for myself. And I don't think people realize how important that is. And for journaling, I was on this path of like, I need to do it every day of the week, consistently every day. And I realized, no, no, no. Like that might be too much for you. Maybe four times a week. Maybe mm. you skip a day or two. And I have been doing it for three months now where I skip a day or two and I come and I write more than I expected to write. And as you said, I write, affirmations. I write like everything is going to flow, right? Everything is flowing the way it's supposed to. And that helps because then during your regular day, if something isn't going the way you want it to, that's in your head already, right? So you're upset and then you're like, okay, everything flows. Like I can be upset, but things are going to work out. Things are going to get back to the way they should. And I can take a deep breath and carry on. So it's, it's, I mean, this whole mental health piece is so important. And I mean, I think that your story is amazing, Aaron, and you seem like an amazing person who has overcome a lot. And Thank you. I'm, I, I'm just glad that you reached out to come and share your story because it's, it's important. Yeah. Thanks to uh, Donovan for uh, being the, the link here, which he just has no idea about. Right. <laughs> It's funny. This is like the third person that I've met through Donovan that he doesn't actually know I've met them until I post something. And then he's like, how did you meet that person? And I'm like, it's because of you, Donovan. <laughs> <laughs> I owe so much to you. Yeah. yeah he's incredible. So, okay. yeah. I love that man. Yeah. Well, I I really cannot thank you enough for coming on and being open and I'm so glad that your journey has taken you to where you are and your nonprofit is You Are Loved mm -hmm. and the podcast is something for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think that 
those are two amazing things that are just going to help people around the world. Thank you. Thank you for your time, the space to talk and for putting this podcast together. So brilliant as well. Thank you. Well, I'm sure we'll be in touch soon and have an amazing day. It's beautiful out where I am. I hope it's equally beautiful where you are. I think so. Yeah. It's always (laughs) a beautiful day. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. Have an amazing day and we'll chat soon. Cheers. Bye.